Alright, welcome everybody to episode 2 of Retrogavania Mania. And uh, this episode, we are going to talk about early beginnings of uh, me and my co-host. Want to introduce yourself again? Hello, how's it going? Corey. I, I was assuming you would say Corey. But okay. <laughs> I guess, I guess uh, we don't have the, we don't have the chemistry yet, but we're getting there. Right? It's yep. Improving. And our first, uh, and a few of our firsts in uh, some categories that this channel is kind of based around. So, but before we get into that, let's start off with uh, what we've been up to, what we've been playing this last week. I personally have been playing a lot, a lot of Hollow Knight. Actually, probably the last few weeks is what <laughs> it's like almost all I've been playing. And, um, and also, uh, some Hybroxia too. But first off, the Hollow Knighting, almost done at, uh, 110 out of 112%. I think that's what I'm gonna, that's my goal for that game right now. I have got one more Pantheon I'm gonna do, which is the, the fourth one. That's a percentage, and then I gotta do the, um, get all the soul, or... Max out enough soul so that that soul dude is all happy with me or whatever. <laughs> I, I don't know. He probably doesn't even give me anything, any rewards. Maybe he does. Don't spoil it for me, Corey. I know you've played. I won't. Um, but uh, yeah, I've been I've been playing it, uh, trying to be as spoilerific or spoiler free. Spoilerific, probably the actual opposite of spoiler free, right there. I don't know why I said that. Um, but. I was trying to um, go into it blind, which I feel like, I mean, I used to come from a realm of just using guides and stuff and trying to get things as fast as possible. And yeah, it definitely took me longer. Um, and I will say I did look up some stuff like later on and I kind of was glad it because I never would have figured it out. But for for the most part, I've been playing it blind. And I enjoyed it a lot more that way. I mean, I know we discussed it. Um, we discussed Hades last week, playing it blind, and uh, how both Corey and I highly suggested doing so. But I feel like it's it's made games a lot more enjoyable for me, just not knowing what to expect. It's like that whoa factor um, and whatnot. And I'm sure a lot of people that listen to this probably have played Hollow Knights pretty well known i know Corey, you have so how how uh, much have you played of it i played the entire thing the only thing that i have not completed is the path of pain and if that rings a bell for you um that's that i'm sorry <laughs> oh that's that one just plat pure platforming section right yes um yeah. i got stuck on one part and so i I turned to YouTube because I was sitting at one area for over an hour and I was, I used the health charm to recuperate your, uh, health over time. Uh, cause I would get through certain sections by taking like one or two hits. So then I'd sit at the, uh, sit in one area, recover a little health and then try again. And I got stuck for over 45 minutes. So I just, I was like, all right, let me see what's on YouTube for this thing. And I watched some guy, somebody do the whole thing in three minutes flat. And I was like, oh Dang. my gosh. Cause I was, 
it took me 45 minutes to get to where I was. And then when I watched this video, I was like 25% of the way there. The timing and you have to be able to bounce off enemies' heads to go up and down certain sections. There's a lot of memorization, a lot of timing. Um, I don't know that you have to be pixel perfect, but you have to be darn near close. Yeah, and it so was those... reminding me a lot of Guacamelee. Um, is what that section reminded me of. Like the entire yeah, I was like yeah, this feels so much like Guacamelee. I actually did not have that much trouble with that section. I hate to say it, Corey, but... And I'm not that great at video games, but... I don't know why, like... I, I did the same method you did at first. Um, and that just got me through it. I mean, it, um... It just basically gave me infinite tries. Um, on everything. So... But, uh... Yeah, I... I am struggling those, with those Pantheons. I mean, I haven't played, it's basically like a boss rush mode, um, and, ah, like you were telling me the other day, it's like they put the hardest enemies at the back, so by the time you get to them, and then you just punt, like, like they kill you out of nowhere, and, um. Yeah, the challenge with that is what I have deemed mental fatigue, so you get... 15 20 minutes into these pantheons and then they hit you with people who have very specific move sets and it's a very tight window to either dodge or get your strike in and then you have to dance around a little bit and i noticed that if i do the uh training mode i can beat some of these people 10 times in a row without getting hit as yeah. soon as i go to the pantheon i'm whatever 10 12 14 minutes into the pantheon and my brain is starting to get a little tired and the people that I can do not blindfolded, but, you know, beat repeatedly without getting touched. Um, all of a sudden you make one mistake and then it just throws it just you off you and back in rhythm. Yeah. It yeah. just snowballs from there. Exactly. That's exactly how I feel too. Cause I would get to like round eight or nine or something and be like, wow, I got there with, full health and like half full soul and just absolutely abysmal it's like seriously yeah this is how we're going out here we did like all the all the guys leading up to this flawlessly and yeah, I, don't know. I did i will say though i i beat it i beat the third one last night um and uh the uh i was kind of actually having fun with it the sense that I felt like I mastered a lot of those earlier fights, and yeah, I had to keep redoing them and stuff, um, but it kind of made it me feel competent and that I learned and stuff, and it kind of feels like, it was kind of like a roguelike that you didn't really get new upgrades for, if that makes sense. It's kind of like the feeling I was getting um, playing through that that section. See, I'm very yeah. out. Of, I'm very much out of the Metroidvania part of Hollow Knight at this point. It's just Pantheon's love, basically. Um, that Pantheon. So the game hasn't even felt like Metroidvania-ish to me for the last week. I've been on these Pantheons for about a week, I think. And the trials, the, the trials. Although those got kind of easy once I had all the all the upgrades and, and whatnot. But 
Um, I'm of two minds about the Pantheon stuff. So one, I think it is a really fun addition because it highlights just how good the combat system is in a Metroidvania. Now, for me personally, the, the combat in Metroidvania is never like the highlight of it. I have more fun just finding new pathways after you gain new abilities or new equipment that allow you to do. Yeah, the exploration factor is the highlight of a Metroidvania. It's never really been the combat because a lot of it, if you're playing Castlevania swords, you're not really like ranged unless you do certain builds or whatever. Um, See, I. But Hollow Knight's combat's just really fun. And so that's what I enjoyed about the Pantheon. However, the, the ramping up of the difficulty is. It's pretty insane. <laughs> yeah, I think combat is still pretty important in Metrovania's, but I feel like you might be right that the exploration stuff is a little bit more for me. But I do like um, like fluid combat and stuff like that. I mean, even if you had really good exploration, if you had abysmal combat, you need at least like pretty okay combat. But if the be- the better the combat, certainly the better the game. Um, it's it's gonna make it. But the uh, I think I think I kind of agree with you that I do kind of lean towards the exploration side a little bit more. But but yeah, Hollow Knight combat fun. I actually initially didn't like Hollow Knight combat. I was like, oh man, this attack is so um, close range, and I was just having a hard time getting into the attack rhythm and. And whatnot but i mean it's like any game that's that's new really um you kind of just take some getting used to of the controls and stuff yeah and and timing and now and, and and i'll say one last thing just about the pantheons as i was trying to master those uh i played through the whole game just with the same charm setup but once i got into the pantheon that's when i really started experimenting with different charms and that led me down different rabbit holes of doing like a ranged build using strictly soul, amplifying soul damage, getting more soul per strike, that sort of thing. And then I also just tried glass cannon builds where maxed out my strength, gave myself, uh, you know, more, more strength with the less health that I had. Um, and you can take out some of those guys in just a couple hits. Yeah, so it was, I mean... And those are insane builds, but you have to be just so sharp with your dancing around to avoid any attack, because literally one or two hits and you're done. Yeah, it uh, did have me experiment a little bit uh, more. Uh, so, I mean, it, yeah, it was good, because it was getting... Touching on different aspects of the game that um, otherwise wouldn't have for you, I guess is what I'm saying. So so that's good, I think. Um and a little bit for me as well. Uh, I mean, there's some setups I, there's some charms I still feel like are just not good. But, um, but yeah, these harder combat things have had me experiment a little around um, more than just going through the the main game, the maps of the main game, where it was like, well, let's default put where you uh, locate yourself on the map and stuff like that on. Yeah. And then the other game I was playing was, um, unless you got more to say about Hollow Knight. 
No, I I could go on uh, for days. Yeah. So we could, we could do a whole Hollow Knight uh, segment, but uh, but not today at least. So the other game I was playing was Hybroxia Two. It is a um, I can't talk too much about it because embargo until Monday. Well, maybe when this comes out. I don't know when this comes. out. I did try to make. I was making a review video for it too, and. Um, you guys are going to have to be, when you listen to it, you're going to have to be, uh, nice isn't the word, forgiving, caring, uh, lenient with me, because it's my first time editing, and I kind of made it a little choppy, I feel. But I learned a lot, and the next one is going to be stellar. This one's not bad, I don't think, my video of it. And then I, I think I'm going to stream it the day it comes out. And, um, it is a shmup, basically, twin six shooting shmup, and, uh, very, uh, retro-inspired from the music to the, uh, the shmuppiness of the deal. And if you play <laughs> one, you kind of know what you're, what to expect from that one, so. So I played one. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I've played some of the other games Lily Mo has made. Uh, Twin Breakers, my favorite so far. Uh, Perils of Baking is also just a fun little game. Um, but I'm interested to see what they do with Hybroxia 2. I really enjoyed my time with the first one I played on both PS4 and Vita. Um, it really does kind of make the Vita really nice. Uh, uh, just a nice device to play a small little game like that and have some fun. Um, I remember playing it while I was on my work lunch break and it's just a nice little game that you could play for five to ten minutes at a time and then turn it off and get back to work so hopefully we'll get a little bit more of that with Roxia 2. Yeah I can't uh talk too much about it because embargo until uh yeah a couple more days but if you want to want my impressions and stuff check out the video that'll be up either when this goes up or later on or Man, I don't know what we're doing scheduling-wise. It'll be very close to when this video gets released. So, uh, stay tuned for that, and, uh, yeah. Alright, what about you, Corey? What have you been up to? I have done a little bit of Cadence of Hyrule. Well, I picked this up over the holidays. It was that game sounds off. so much fun to me. I have... I have uh, it is... I bought Crypto the Necrodancer, like, last year on sale for, like, $2, but I still never played it. <laughs> but it looks really fun, and in Cadence of Hyrule, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Zelda fan, especially of those 2D ones, so looks looks good to me. So what, what do you think of it? It, so it is great. It, it's great. It's really hard. <laughs> um, but oh, there really? is nothing quite, there's nothing quite, like, navigating around to the beat of these Zelda tracks that you know and love for years and years. Um, they've remixed some of the older uh, Zelda songs from, I think it's like Link to the Past and some of the other Game Boy games where I've recognized some of the tunes. Um, but they've drawn on those, remixed them, and the combat is you get damage bonuses based off of whether or not you're following to the beat. And actually, if you do miss the beat altogether, you won't move. And if that happens, you're probably just going to get whacked by one of the enemies heading towards you. So everything moves to the beat. Everything attacks to the beat. 
and you get damage bonuses and movement bonuses if you're also on B. Um, so that it's just a, it's a really fun, fun game. Now, I haven't played enough to get very far. In fact, I'm still looking for Kakariku Village. Um, I think that's how you say that. That's how I've said it my entire life, so I'll just keep rolling with that. Um, I'm not sure I've ever actually different... said it out loud. <laughs> um, there's a lot to explore. Um, again, I'm still trying to find my way through. I, I haven't looked up any guides or anything about what I'm doing. Um, so there, I've just been... If I see a, a, a bomb spot on the wall, I'll go in there and fight whatever's in there. Um, I will say that I have died enough to tell everybody to maximize your diamond usage and buy empty heart containers and uh, the spear. The spear is a godsend, uh, especially when you're first starting out and learning, because sometimes you don't know the enemy patterns, and it helps to be able to strike them from two tiles away instead of one. Corey's uh, cadence tips there for you. Um, yeah. Like I said, I um, I think it looks very interesting and, and very fun. Um, but I have not played it yet. Yeah, it's a, yet, it's a really cool mashup. And I'm glad Nintendo allowed one of their prestigious IPs to be experimented and just kind of remixed um, to a completely different style of gameplay. And yet it still manages to capture and use some of the charm of the older Zelda 2D games. Um, and yet it, it it feels familiar, but it also feels completely different. It's a really, really unique game. And based off of the amount of time that I've spent on it so far, I would uh, categorize it as something that I would recommend. All right, awesome. Uh, anything else you've uh, been up to? There's pretty much just the uh, the cadence there. All right. Well, if, if nothing else, um, I guess we'll move on to the feet, not theme of the episode, the the meat of this episode, I guess, um, which is our first gaming systems. And our first, uh, well, a couple of firsts here. So, um, I don't know, I started off the last segment. You want to start off this one? Your first gaming system is older than mine. Also, I am going with you first. Sure. Um, so, I was born in 1988, and the first console that I remember playing uh, was the Nintendo Entertainment System, belovedly known as the NES. I have heard a couple people recently call it the NES. I don't know if I like that, so I'll always call it the NES. Um, I call it the NES. But my first gaming memories, <laughs> my first gaming memories start out there. Um, I played some of the well-known titles, such as Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers Three, Zelda One and Two, which was actually just called Link One and Two, um, and the one game that I always played, just because I was a, a big sports fan, even in my youth, uh, was base SNK's Baseball Stars. And I, I don't know that I'll ever forget the memories of like creating characters and stacking my team so that I could just beat people 22 to nothing and, and have the game called in like the second inning. 
so even at a young age, I knew how to game the system, as they <laughs> say, and, and like cheat my way toward game the game. Time. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I um, I never owned an S or uh, an NES, but I do have memories of Super Mario Brothers Brothers Three playing it at my grandmother's house on my uncle's console. Um with my cousin and he was he was very good at super mario brothers 3 at least um he knew where all these like flutes were and all this stuff and um i was like wow <laughs> and i did play teenage mutant ninja turtles as well and duck hunt also um got uh i got to play that and i was kind of blown away i was like whoa you mean there's this little gun here <laughs> sweet yeah. We get to shoot ducks and, and stuff. Um, I actually never played Zelda, the original Zelda, until when I got a Wii and I played on the virtual console. Um, so maybe a tragedy to some to some people. You waited that long to play the original <laughs> Well, yeah. I don't know. I, I went back and played it when it first became available on the Switch NES Online catalog. And I must say, it's very different than what I remember. Of course, that's... As an eight. Whatever. Thir yeah, 30 years have gone by since I played. And um, it's still good, but there's there's a lot that they don't tell you. It's very cryptic. Um, I think a lot it, of games were a lot more cryptic back then. Yeah. Um, I guess, you know with the advances in game design and technology, it just doesn't seem fair to have one of the dungeons hidden below a bush that you just have to randomly know to burn. Yeah. Um, I'm thankful that they've kind of changed how games work, but that was one thing that struck me when I was playing recently on the Switch was that some of these secrets are, like there's no indication that a, a treasure room exists there that there's a shortcut or even a dungeon which is where you're supposed to go to progress the game that just it's it was really weird to do that um in 2020 when i played well it's kind of like that with even like uh final fantasies and old school rpgs and stuff where it's like you had to talk to the specific npc and then or you had to know what continent to go fly to or something um, or whatnot, and, and yeah. Nowadays, it's just quest marker, quest marker, quest marker. Um, you actually had to read yeah, dialogue, um, back then, because people would tell you where to go sometimes, and, uh, yeah. But yeah, they would also be games where there'd just be some really random off-the-wall thing you had to do, and it was like, what? How, how was I supposed to know about that? Yeah. Now, I will say that you can still find games like that where it's just very cryptic. Uh, I play a some lot of, of point-and-click Dark Souls they, games. They kind of do. That yeah, the, the the point-and-clicks do that for sure. But the ones that I was thinking of was Dark Souls. Um, there's some things where you, t in order to like activate the next area, you have to do this certain pose in this certain spot. Now, thankfully, the gaming community, for the most part, puts clues on the ground with those uh, scrolls. So that can be helpful when you just see like a bunch of scrolls laying on the ground. But without that, there is probably some areas where I'd still be stuck on in Bloodborne or Dark Souls 
um, because I had no idea what to do. Good job, game community, for being friendly. I know. See, not all the game communities are toxic. We got some, there's there's some friendly uh, faces. Well, I shouldn't say faces. I have friendly people. Or robots. Until you get invaded in Dark Souls. (laughs) Then all bets are off. Until then. Um, Alright, so for me, my first ever game I ever played was on an Intellivision. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of that. I've heard of it. I, I'm still not quite familiar with what it is. It... I don't know. It's kind of weird. It's kind of like somewhat like an Atari. Um, sort of. I don't know. You'd have to look it up, Google it. It's hard for me to explain. But I had I, ne- I didn't play too much of it. I'm actually a little younger than Corey, but I played this because it was at my grandmother's house, and um, it was my uncle's mother's, my other uncle's. So, the games I played on there were Space Invaders and a game that I called Drunk Driving. And me and my cousin played this, and we called it Drunk Driving. And it was, um, I mean, you guys all know what Space Invaders was. I don't even know what the name of this game was. I probably could look it up. Um, but it was basically, you had a car that was going from the bottom of the screen to the top of the screen. You had to go left and right to dodge other cars. Uh, essentially, was is what it was. And we called it drunk driving because there'd be cars that would just move in random places. And yeah. But... So I'm looking, I'm looking up in television right now. It launched in the United States in 1979 and sold for $275. Could you imagine how much that costs now? Um, yeah, that's, that's a lot. As that's, I'm sure that's more than a PS5. It'd probably be pretty close. Is there a inflation calculator? If not more. Somewhere? There's gotta be. Yeah, there's an inflation calculator online. You mind punching in the numbers? Yeah, I can run that real quick while you All go right. on to your next game. Alright, so the first system I ever owned was a SNES. Or a SNES, I guess, as uh, some people would call it. And my first game, Donkey Kong Country. And this one was actually a lot of good memories with us. I didn't beat it myself. What I would what would happen is I played it with my father actually, and um, I could do a lot of like the early on levels, but essentially what would happen is I would go and farm lives while he was at work, and then he would come home, and then I would watch him play. Um, to try to get to the next uh, candy save area and stuff. So I, every every day I would go and get up to 99 lives, and then he would, uh, I would just watch him try to get to the next area and stuff. And um, yeah, that, that was my first game that I owned. And then other notables for me for the SNES, Mickey and Minnie Circus Adventure, and a great circus adventure, I think it actually is. But this was a co-op game, and like the first co-op game I ever played. 
And it was a well-done co-op game because you got to both play at the same time. It wasn't like the quote-unquote co-op of Donkey Kong Country where one person plays until they die and it switches to the other character. But yeah, I played this with my cousin and I had a blast playing this um, with my cousin back in the day. And um, we actually still, we dusted it off last, and this was last time we got together pre-COVID and played played through it and still fun still very fun game um and yeah i i I like that one metal warriors was was another one um me and my father played this we would play this at my at like parties and stuff and it was uh it was a mech game with very unique uh robots and essentially it had a good uh pvp mode in it that i that uh a lot of us enjoyed me and my cousins and my uh my father and the single player was all right i guess but we kind of all sucked at it and then <laughs> it was my uh, well, it was kind of hard um kind of a hard single player but also, the first Mega Man game I played was uh, Mega Man X3, and then Mega Man um, X2 was the first one I owned. And oh man, the feeling of finally beating Wheel Gator on that one. I will always remember that. I, I beat it right before basketball practice one morning. And uh, like all day, I was just like, whoa, I got this wheel. And then I immediately went to fight Bubble Crab. and beat him because I had the wheel and it was so easy then and yeah I don't know I, I loved me it's loved me that Mega Man X2 feel and that was yeah and then uh I also have memories of renting Final Fantasy games and renting games on that system and I was not very good at video games but what I would do is just rent it and just hope that there was like a save file or something that someone had uh like laid on in the game and um, one funny story I have with that, um, one of the Final Fantasies I rented, someone named their character kind of a bad name, and <laughs> I know it was a bad name at the time. So out loud, I was in my family room, and my mother was in the kitchen, and I just kept saying it over and over, like, so-and-so beat so-and-so, so-and-so did so much damage. And then after a little bit, my mother's like, you know, that's not a good word. You should stop saying that. Why? What? What is this game you're playing? So, um, yeah, a little bit of a funny story uh, with that. And then I moved on to other consoles. But uh, those are those are my first ones. You brought up two things that really bring back some great memories for me. One is just the entire notion of renting games. I remember. Oh, yeah. Every other weekend, I would look forward to going to Blockbuster or trying to think of the name of the chain and where I lived. Yeah, it's not going to come to me, but yeah, I, I would do the same thing. I I would hope that there was someone who had a save file that was like a hundred percent complete or something yeah. that would give me superpowers, so I could just go through the game. Um, the other thing that I enjoyed doing too was renting a game and just you know, playing for the next couple days over the weekend and then turn it back in and then determine, do I want to buy this or not? And I, 
I think that that's pretty integral to, you know, me as a child figuring out what I wanted to ask for Christmas. I would just rent these games and then figure out, oh, yeah, I want to get this one for Christmas. Uh, for me, I would just rent the same one over and over again. Yeah, that too. I, I, I would, I would really like to know if there was one game that I rented so many times that I probably should have just bought it instead of renting it and spending whatever a hundred dollars to rent it. I probably could have bought it for way less. All right, and uh, just to add in, two hundred seventy-five dollars adjusted for inflation from nineteen seventy-nine is a little over a thousand dollars today whoa <laughs> i think i was thinking maybe like 550 or 600 wow you could buy two ps5s with that yeah or a really nice graphics card for your custom built pc yeah man i'm actually really surprised because um my family was not uh like super rich or buying super expensive things i'm really surprised they had that that's that's i'm i'm just stunned right now like that yeah. grandfather would have allowed that knowing the type of person he was maybe it was just a um something that he always wanted to do and decided to take the plunge i don't know i'm gonna have to ask my parents what this or my uh mother and what the story behind that one was Cause I mean, yeah, they were like, like for Christmas and stuff, it'd be like a one one doll or something. That's your whole Christmas thing, from what I what I took. Wow. Yeah, that's all. Um, yeah. And they were well. It's uh, yeah, cheaper than buying the actual like arcade cabinet <laughs> that you could find around or a pinball machine. Yes. Oh, I'm stunned. Okay. All right, so let's move on to um, a little Metroidvania. A little more. We had Hollow Knight, but being the Vania part of the show, we got to talk about some more Metroidvania stuff. So, first Metroidvania game ever played, I guess I'll go first on this one, was Castlevania Circle of the Moon on the Game Boy Advanced. So, I got my Game Boy Advanced. Glacier White, by the way. And I got two games for it. Castlevania Circle of the Moon and Rayman 3, I believe was... I almost said Origins, but that's definitely not correct. I think it was 3. And so... That was my first uh, experience in the Metroidvania category. And I was just, like, so blown away. Like, the exploration thing. I never played anything like it before. So, um, there is a, I thought a good combat system, and it had interesting mechanics, and, oh man, I loved that game so much. Um, it, yeah, it, it was just great. Um, and Rayman 3, also very, very good, because, but not, nowhere in comparison to Castlevania Circle of the Moon for me. And then that led me down to get all the subsequent Castlevanias on the GBA, all the Metroidvania ones. Um, and yeah, it kind of sparked my love for Metroidvanias at the, at the time. Um, so. I, I will add that I played Castlevania Symphony of the Night on Vita. 
I think it was the PSP port or just the PlayStation One classics that are available on uh, Vita, and that's where I that's I think that's the only Castlevania game I've played. Don't don't shoot me for only playing one, but if I had to pick one, I guess that's probably the consensus one that you should play. Yeah, and that's pretty much everyone's cream of the crop. It's it kind of sounds like as for the official Castlevanias. Oh, yeah. I should say official Metroidvania style Castlevania. And I actually played this for the first time in like 2015. I had just got my Vita and I didn't really have anything to play. And I saw available on the Vita store when it worked. Um, <laughs> you could get all of these uh, PlayStation 1 classics for anywhere from like two to five bucks. And so I picked up a bunch of them including Castlevania Symphony of the Night. And I got to say, I I did not see myself spending, you know, play sessions of like four and five hours in front of my Vita. Normally I like to do that. If I'm going to do that, I'll sit in front of a TV where I can relax and get up and and um, enjoy surround sound and, and everything. But this felt really good on the Vita. Um, and as, as you all may have know by now that that game is just it's brilliant from start to finish so that was a real fun experience for me and so far I that's actually, the only castlevania i've played i actually never i haven't played well i didn't play symphony night until i think 2019 or 2020 or something like that when it was um there was a collection with that and rondo of blood i think it was called um, yep yeah, the Castlevania collection. Yeah, I, I get, actually never I need to played. Get around to play that. Yeah, I never played Symphony Night until until that one. Um, but but yeah, that game stellar, stellar. But the nostalgia factor of me, I don't even know if this aged well. The Circle of the Moon, but um, that was uh, that was my first Metroidvania. So how about you? My first Metroidvania was Metroid Prime and for the nintendo gamecube and i remember getting what felt like halfway through the game and i kind of stopped i just lost interest i guess i migrated over to super smash brothers melee um that was just a little bit more of a a neighborhood favorite at the time where i would have friends over and we would just congregate around melee um so that's, I, I, I really did I just have a falling out with Metroid Prime. And I meant to get back to it years later. And as I was trying to, you know, work up the courage to do so, I looked up, um, you know, just like some starting out tips on Metroid Prime. It turns out what I had played up to uh, years prior was like 10% of the game. And I was thinking, holy moly, like how much more could there possibly be? And I didn't even really get to the tip of the iceberg. And uh, that's just, it goes to show like how many twists and turns you can back into a Metroidvania where you get new equipment, new abilities, and that just allows you to go back and explore areas that you, in most cases, didn't even know existed. Yeah. Because you have better traversal capability. I feel like a lot of stuff opened up. I mean, 
even in Hollow Knight, when I was doing that kind of blind, I was surprised um, how big the world and stuff kept getting. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, that's uh, definitely an aspect of Metroidvania. Is, it's like you just never know how big that iceberg is. Well, unless you look it up. But mm -hmm. um, just the potential of where they could go, how much they could add into it, um, how many maps, how big the map is, how many maps within maps they can place, and um, things of that nature. So, yeah, I actually never played Metroid Prime. Well, I played, no, I played a demo at Target, I remember. Because I used to be, um, I'm sure you did this too. As a kid, you always just went to the, like, Target and GameStop, and they had those demo machines, and you would just play. Um, oh, God. They still have yes, them now. Yes, I did. And just think, like, if in a um, post-pandemic world, that would never happen. But it was, it was like, a major piece of just being a kid growing up in the 90s and early 2000s to play the demo uh, available at your local game store or at a big box retailer, like, Target or Walmart. Yeah. Lord Lord knows what was on those controllers by the time a hundred kids touched it. Uh, yeah, I don't want to think about it. Alright, so that's our first Metroidvanias. First indie game. Now, when I thought of this for somewhat of a topic here, um, or as a question, I, uh, I had trouble thinking of which was the first one I played. And then I was thinking to myself, was it really not until the PS3 that I played an actual, like, indie game? And then I I even asked Corey this over Discord. I was like, that can't be right. There's got, there's got to be something sooner. And then we looked it up, and it was kind of like, uh, what was the, the era that you said they started coming? I you might just... I remember playing them on Xbox Live Arcade, where they were just smaller titles. Um, and, and it was just like an experimental, like, does this work? And that's how I first started playing some of these games. Yeah, I, I did look it up. Uh, I googled, like, indie games and stuff. There was, like, a little interesting history here. There was indie games that people would make and they would have to ship them, like physically mail them to people, um, in order for them to play them. And I think that I think it was like dates around like the nineteen mid nineteen nineties, nineteen ninety four or something, um, when that started. But I guess it kind of makes sense because um, as far as getting uh, like reach and stuff, there. I mean, I know both me and Corey are more console players, so. It probably was more available um, gaming on, like, PCs and stuff. Because, I mean, PS2 didn't have... Like, you had the online factor of the PS3, the, the store and stuff like that, which I think me and Corey, I'm guessing that was probably your first exposure to something like that, too. Well, I mean, Xbox Live Arcade for you, I guess, but um, around that era, around that time... Um, Mm -hmm. case we just wouldn't have been exposed because the only games I was buying was stuff that I could get at my GameStop or buy off of Amazon or 
or, or whatnot. Um, so yeah, I remember that being a, a part of it. I I do recall an opportunity on once Xbox Live was ubiquitous that you could download some games on there. I never did that. I I only used Xbox Live to download the latest DLC for games. Um, but it was with the Xbox 360 and PS3 era, right? Where the you could actually go on the PSN store or the Xbox Live store and start to browse through some of these smaller titles, and they were only you know two dollars or five dollars. Some I think like the most expensive ones would have been ten or twenty bucks, and so it was a little bit of a gamble. But I do remember, uh, I, I'm trying my best here but i i want to say that aegis wing was like the first one on xbox live arcade it was either free or i paid some small amount for it but i remember being blown away by how much fun i had playing with up to four player uh couch co-op you might even had online co-op as well but you know i was thinking well who made this game like this has to be a big budget game and then i found out it was just a small little team and that might have been in at the same time that I would have played Limbo. Those two are probably the first indie games that I officially played. Yeah, I never played uh, Ages Wing. Um, Limbo, actually, I don't think I played Limbo either. Now that I think about it. Um, yeah, so my, my story of how I first started... Oh, of my first indie game, I guess, was um, there was a free PS Plus trial um, for a week that you could you could do. And the free games, I mean, it's kind of like now PlayStation, they, they gave you free games and stuff. And um, there was a lot of indies. So, um, well, over the years, there's been a lot of indies. Now they kind of try to give you bigger name games like the last few months, it seemed like. Um, but there was two that I remember playing on that free trial. Cuboid and Swords and Soldiers. And Swords and Soldiers was a... Uh, it was like a 2D... You... I don't even remember it all that much. You, like, you walked from one end of the map to the other, and you tried to get your soldiers and stuff, and rally them and I don't know I'm probably forgetting this complete game but but cuboid was a pure puzzle game where you had this cube that you were trying to flip um around these block tiles and try to get it uh position it where you needed to uh to position it so yeah those were the first two I ever played and then I think the only other like I didn't buy a ton at the time um and then I got the free or when I actually bought PS Plus, then I would get the the free months um, games that way, and a lot of them were indies, and a lot of them were actually brand new indies too at the time, which kind of PS Plus kind of st strayed away from, um, but uh, yeah, so there was that, and then I got really trophy obsessed and. A lot of the easy trophies were in these indie titles too, so that kind of yeah, yeah. So I I looked it up and 
here's the history behind Aegis Wing. Uh, quote, according to an IGN developer spotlight, the game was created when Microsoft's Jay Allard proposed a summer internship focused on game design. In response, three Microsoft interns, Scott Brody, Danny Dyer, and Matt Munson created Aegis Wing in the summer of 2006. Dyer and Munson had been active members of the Texas Aggie Game Developers, a student organization at Texas A&M University that encourages game development among students. The three did all of the initial development work within their small team, although with artwork and audio support from other sources. The game was later brought to Xbox Live Arcade with assistance from Carbonated Games. So that that was between that one and Limbo, that would have been my first um, indie game that I played. And I'll never forget this. I, I thought that this game was so much fun that it had to be made by some large developer. And I was just completely like my foundation was shook to know that it was just a small uh, project for college kids. Yeah, I think I felt that way a little bit, too, when I first um, first heard about how small te- of a team indie games um, were made by. And actually, first, I didn't even know what an indie game was until probably, I'm sure, far after I played Swords and Soldiers and Cuboid. Um, I, don't, I don't know what date I, I could say that is when I learned exactly what one was, but uh, yeah, I guess I, I didn't really think about it at the time either. I just thought, well, it's a game. Uh, mm-hmm. Some company made it. So, Did you get involved with any of the late, I think it was a late PS3 initiative to um, bring indie games to market and I want to say that at least as far as PS4 goes, when they first introduced the new PS4 console, like every month they made it a point to highlight or put a spotlight on a brand new indie title. And that's how I got to play stuff like Counter Spy, Hohokum, I think I'm saying that right, where you're just like a worm and you fly around from different environment to different environment, very colorful. Um, very unique gameplay. I, uh, I just remember playing some of these, and I thought these are all really, really fun. I, I wish I had more to play. That's kind of like the downside of the indie games is you wish that there were more of it, but because of their budget budgetary constraints and just the team size, they can't give you a sixty-hour game. But some of these I would happily play that long and maybe more. Yeah, I like I said, I remember um, on PS Plus, it was a lot more. Um, There's a lot more indie titles that were uh, that were on there, and yeah, I guess highlighted would be kind of a, a good word to use. Um, and like the brand new one, like brand brand. I think we'll get some more with the PS Five as the as the devs have more time to work on it. Whatnot. Yeah, I think we'll, I think we'll get more as the PS5 is still in its, its infancy. Once the big game uh, game launches, like Demon Souls and uh, Sackboy and Spider-Man, Miles Morales, once those run their course, I think we might get a few more indie titles that'll have some time to shine here, which could be exciting. Mm, it could be. 
Hope so. Cause yeah, one of the one of the things of this channel. Support those indie devs, people. Cause they work hard making their games. And some appreciation and getting the word out. It's good. It's doing good for the game community, I feel. So. Yeah, the, a lot of uh, developers will use this. Uh, indie developers will use that first game as their portfolio to land jobs at some of the larger studios. So it's very exciting for them. And it's very exciting for us, the gamers, to try. A lot of these are new ideas or, um, you know, they're, they're different spins or a new perspective on some of the same mechanics that we've played over the years. And that breeds new life and refreshing gameplay into some of these great little titles. So yeah, as sure. just a, as a fan of gaming and somebody who likes to help lift others up, I, I can't recommend some of these indie games enough. Yeah. So hopefully we can, uh, highlight some stuff in our, our time with this channel and uh you guys can also it also helps uh you guys learn about games you might have missed out on and have a blast with so all right i think that's pretty much it for the meat and bones of this episode uh you looking forward to anything coming up Corey? there's one thing that i have on my horizon and that is stardew valley's 1.5 update the last I heard, it had gone to certification for consoles, so it could be tomorrow or it may be a couple of weeks down the road, but I am looking forward to diving back in and exper uh, experimenting with and experiencing all of the new things that they added into this update. Yeah, for me, I guess it's finish Hollow Knight and then move on to... There's a game, Blue Fire, that looks kind of interesting that's... that's um, coming out next week. Um, so maybe I'll get on that and maybe I'll do a little review of that and we or talk about it next week. Um, or the week after, I don't know. I think it comes out the 4th, I, I think it is. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, I got Cyber Shadow Bot, which a lot of people play and a lot of people have enjoyed, so hopefully I can... I had planned on playing that this weekend, but those Pantheons kind of, uh, well, they took up a good deal of my time, let's say. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, I guess we'll wrap it up here. Um, some things to comment on in the comments below. We'd like to hear, I don't know, what was your first Metroidvania, your first indie, your first gaming console? Um, and uh, have you played Hollow Knight? Like I'm thinking a lot of a lot of you have or um, yeah, I guess those would be those would be kind of fun things to have little discussions on in the comments below. Uh, you can also join the uh, the Retrovania Discord and uh, I do stream on Twitch pretty much every day. Um, I think that's pretty much it. Twitter, there's also Retrovania Twitter. And uh, Corey's got a Twitter as well. And I'll uh, link the stuff in the description below. And uh, anything else you want to say, Corey? That's it for me. Thanks for listening. All right. So with that being said, everybody have a good night, good morning, 
enjoy your games. Thanks for watching and listening, and hopefully we will uh, catch you again next time. Goodbye, everybody.